Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Welcome to my favorite time of the week. And this time we have Danny Williams. Danny's an Olympian. He was in the 2012 Olympics. He also in 2014 went on to gold at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Danny is an athlete and a judo coach at the Kemberley Judo Club, which is a very uh, uh, high performing organization. Been through a lot, particularly with uh, obviously the, the COVID period and when athletes can't really train. Began life at four thinking about doing judo. But Danny, welcome. Great to have you on the series. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, uh, guys. Great to speak to you both. And uh, you were recommended by one of our favourite uh, supporters, Don McIntyre. How, how do you and Don know each other? Uh, so uh, Don and I train at the, the same Brazilian jiu-jitsu club, uh, Colson Gracie in Farnborough. Um, and, and Don has very kindly helped me out um, with some technical aspects of the sport. Uh, over the past few years, actually, and Don, Don himself has done some judo up at Camberley Judo Club, so so known, known him quite a while. That's a small world because my wife uh, and my daughter Alana um, both love uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and go to a club in Nottingham, but of course that's not been going on for a while. Though it did end up with uh, our daughter breaking her ankle uh, in one of the, the moves that she did with someone who got a bit overzealous. But uh, oh, really, they, they both they both love it. And um, anyway, let's talk about you and not my family and their crazy things that they all get up to. But um, I'm really Ben and I are really interested in people's life stories and their journeys. And and we were discussing in the green room that uh, you began that sort of interest in judo from the age of four. But but even before that, what was your upbringing, mother and father and grandparents and things? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in uh, in Shrewsbury, up in Shropshire, um, and it was it was just me and my mum growing up. Uh, never knew my father. There was never really a man around the house, um, and I, I, I was incredibly close to to my mum's mother and father, obviously my nan and granddad. And uh, when I was a, when I was four, I, between my mum and my granddad, it was kind of decided that I needed to go to some sports. You know, when I was playing out with uh, with the local kids on the local green. I could be quite overly aggressive and and, and things, uh, so they decided to, to to take me around a few different sports. And the first one I went to was judo. Um, and luckily enough, it was the first one that I fell in love with. And I, I, even my mum reminds me today. She said, "You, you know, you you walked into that club that night in your dinosaur pajamas, uh, looking terrified, and you literally bounced out of the club." Um, and I fell in love with it there and then. And Pretty quickly, I was going to all the nights that Roger, who was my my coach then up in Shrewsbury, uh, all the nights that he ran, uh, which was about three or four a week. And it, it got to a point where my mum, because she was running a hairdressing salon at the time, she couldn't always get me early to the to, to every session. So Roger would pick me up and I would go and help him with the with all the, the, the sessions like for, for the younger children then up until my age. So I kind of look back on that and, um, you know, I, I was helping out or to, to some degree coaching from, from the age of like seven or eight. Wow. And then as, as my competitive career progressed, that, that took, a, took a bit of a backseat as I had to move on to, to other clubs. And then when I moved to Camberley in, in 2009, um, I, I just qualified as a plaster. I'd finished my plaster and apprenticeship. And so I was kind of conscious that judo isn't a professional sport um that i would have to look that i had something in, in my back pocket that i could do potentially once i'd finished competing but i love judo and I, I i also recognized and saw luke doing it uh, my coach that you could make a, a whole life out, out of judo so i kind of expressed that interest to him very early on um and he sorted me out with some 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 paid coaching work via the club 
Uh, and then I got in contact with some other other judo people that, that also provided me with a little bit more work and experience and and, and things like that. And I also then did my uh, my coaching degree off the back of that. So it's something that in line with my own competitive career that, that, that that's always been there as well. Yeah, but I seem to remember you saying that at age seven, you remember watching the Atlanta Olympics in 96 and you thought then at that age, that's where I'd like to go. Tell us a bit about that kind of goal-orientated focus that takes you off into the future from a very early age, this 10,000 hours of purposeful practice that some talk of. Yeah, well, uh, so my granddad, he spent, um, he went into the military with national service and yeah, he, he was he was in the military police for a long, long time and he was a competitive cross-country runner. Um, and then when my mum was younger, she she was a good swimmer and my granddad actually trained up to become a swimming coach and we were a very support uh, supportive sportive family um all very driven so kind of that the, the the drive to do sport was there and we watched when i was seven that that would have been the first time the olympics had been held since i'd started judo and my granddad and my mum sat there uh, and, and, and put me in front we watched all of the all all, all seven days of the judo and it was kind of around that time they, they they sowed the seed for me. It was like you could go to the Olympics someday. Um, and then since then, I kind of always had that vision, always had that goal to work, work uh, to work towards. But that also allowed me to see that actually once you finish competing, that there is other things. You can stay within judo. It doesn't have to just be your competitive career. Then you go on to find another job or something like that. So. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I'm thinking about there's Ben. I've got four children. but They're all 25 to 29. There's Ben with uh, one little one and another one on the way. So you know, here he is. He can be sitting down on the TV and going, one day you're going to go to the Olympics. And I'm probably <laughs> going to be working on it now thinking, right. But, of course, sometimes psychologically um, I end up with leaders who, who uh, have the unmet needs of their parents who wanted them to be a doctor or a lawyer, and they ended up doing something completely different. So many of the psychological problems people have are the unmet needs of a parent. But it seems in this case that with a very inspirational um, grandfather and mother that they did successfully sow seeds in you and encourage you that you could go for, for things and goals that you then picked up. Because the environment does make a huge difference in leadership uh, and in sports. But equally, some people do make it through against the environment. That's really harder. But you... You had, while it was a tough one, you had an environment, it sounds like, where there was great encouragement for you and there always has been. Is that right? Yeah, that's totally correct. And and, and when I look back on it now, um, obviously, I'm a kids coach myself. So I see some of that pushy parent syndrome coming out in people. And I I look back and they they really they they really found a great balance with it. You know, they they kind of gave me a kick up the backside when I needed it, you know, like, no, come on, you, you should go to training tonight. But I was never forced. I look back on that. They, they never forced me to do it. But at, at times there was very strong encouragement. So, yeah, I think they found a really, really, really nice balance with it. Yeah. And, and so we talked about you at seven, sitting from the TV, watching the, uh, the Atlanta Olympics in 96. And, um, Knowing what you know now, age 31, what advice would you give to your seven-year-old self about life or leadership or sport or whatever? What's, what's the advice you'd give to a young seven-year-old that you've got in your Camberley club? Um, I think experience is the, is the best advice. So, you know, I, I often think of that, that, you know, I, I don't feel qualified to give anyone else advice, actually, but I can say what I would say myself. And I think the big one for me, because I was so I was so motivated to do judo and I had this 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 one goal and that 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 was winning the Olympics was. It would be to say that, you know, mistakes are actually really important. Errors are really important. Falling short is really important um, because they're the only way that you truly learn particularly with a, such a multi-dimensional sport of judo where, you know, it's not like boxing. We're a really strong boxing nation. We're not for judo. You know, we're not like Japan. We're not like Russia. There's so much knowledge that needs to be learned that there's only a handful of people in the country that can actually give you. Um, 
and 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 for me, I kind of look back on that. I I probably expected too much too much of myself. I don't know if that if you can expect too much of yourself, but you know, I was very hard on myself. You know, I saw it very clearly. It was either a win or it was a loss. Um, you know, and I look back on that now. And when when you see that process in kids or in young players, actually, you you can kind of see them toying with that idea of have I lost here but you can see that they're improving and that they the, the understanding starts to build um so so for me if I were to go back and 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 speak speak to a younger version of myself that that's probably the key message that I would deliver yeah but uh, from, from my understanding and from my small amount of judy and judo and karate that I did in in Cambly when I was at Santos as an as an officer attitude is everything and and Part of a big part of what you do, as far as I understand it, and what I've read about you, is getting the right attitude, and and that that goes into leadership and business. So so what what have you learned about getting the right attitude and coping with failures and setbacks and some of the proud moments and the dark moments, which you could perhaps talk about as well? I I think of all the of all the the different pieces that you need to be a successful judo player attitude i think to be successful in anything attitude attitude is the most important and it, it it's the one that combines them all together um and i i you know when i say i was very driven and and and, and motivated as a youngster i was but i wasn't very good i wasn't very good i i only really properly got into the british team when i was 19 you know and i'd already been at it for 15 years at that point um, but I was willing to just, I think I lost so much at a young age when I really wanted it and it hurt me that much that I, you know, I was just forced that character building element was just forced on me. Um, I had no choice. I had no choice, but to learn and to, to, to put those lessons in practice because it was all I ever wanted to do. Um, the London Olympics was was a huge one for me. My my proudest moment was opening the email that told me that I'd been selected for the London Games because, you know, that that was in that was in May of 2012. You know, and as we said, Atlanta in '96. I, I think every third thought that I'd ever had since my granddad and mum said you could go to the Olympics someday had been the Olympic Games. So wow. to open, yeah, to open that uh, email was fantastic. But on the flip side of that, lose, losing in my first contest in London, I remember waking up the next morning in the village and uh, we were on the like the seventh floor and I, I stood on my balcony and I was staring out over over the Olympic Park and I felt a, an emptiness that I'd never felt before and I I kind of I kind of realised that you know all I'd ever thought about and I'd never thought past the Olympic Games, never seriously thought past what I was going to do after I, I competed at the Games. And don't get me wrong, I was still, I was 23. I was still very young. I had more Olympic cycles in front of me. But I kind of realised that I got close enough to, to my dream. I hadn't achieved it, but I got within, not within touching distance, but close enough to it. I could see it. To realise that kind of all the things that I was expecting to happen like me to really feel feel successful or to to feel good about myself or to I don't know what I expected I honestly think I thought I was going to live on a pink fluffy cloud for the rest of my life if I was to win an Olympic medal um you know and I felt just the same I felt the same person when I woke up the next day and that was uh you know I had, I had a few months after that where I had to make some kind of personal realizations and really look at look at my attitude of my approach to how I would approach my judo and my judo training, but also how I trained. Um, so yeah, it, it, that was a massive one for me, a massive turning point in my life. So just staying with that, it's quite interesting. There was a lady called, uh, I think Elizabeth Santois, but Santois was the surname, first name has gone out of my mind, but she was a, an Alpine mountain guide and there's only three women who do it out of, I don't know, 500 men, just three women. She's tiny. I mean, like her rucksack was almost bigger than her, but she wanted to become a qualified mountain guide uh, and, and strived and strived and setbacks. And people told her, you know, to jump across boulders and that kind of stuff. And she was small. And so some of the things that they were trying to give her to do were really challenging, but she did it. And, um, and then when she was a mountain guide, she learned a lot about goal obsession 
that when you're going up the Matterhorn or some of the, the you know, the, the Himalayan peaks and things, you've got to actually say to people when it's time to let go of the goal, that you're not going to summit today. But no, 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 I paid all this money to you to get me to the summit. No, you paid for me to keep you safe. And if we could get to the summit, we'll achieve that. But we're not going to do it at all costs where you die and I die. So we're going back down. And on the way back down, they'd meet someone else who's going past for the summit. And they said, I don't think you should go. The weather's turning. And they went, no, no, we're going, we're going, for, we're going for this goal. This is what we came to do. And they died. They're literally those people and the guide all died. And she said, sometimes that's an extreme version of goal obsession just takes you completely off it. Now, you had incredible goal obsession about going to the Olympics. What's your learning about, and you see this with young, young boys and girls that you're training, when they're so obsessed and they don't meet the goal and how do they come to terms with it mentally? Because mental health is a big thing at the moment. And you, know, you must have come across this. What, what's your experience? I, I, I think with competitive athletes, it's always a fine line because there has to be that element of obsession in there for you to, to, to even get close to, you know, let's say Olympic champion is the, um, you know, it, it, it is the ultimate goal that you're going for. It's like you have to be somewhat obsessed to, to you know, particularly with judo where you're not earning, you know, you can't justify it you do, that you're doing it for the money because the money just, the big bucks aren't there. Um, mm. So you, it has it has to be a, a unique drive but of course that comes with an element of there's never a perfect time to say enough's enough now and 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 you, you see you see so many i'm going to keep it you know unique to sport but you see so many sports people struggling after after they realize that there isn't a chance anymore because mm -hmm. i think while you're while you're still competing while you're still competing, even if you're not competing to the level that you that you uh, that you want to compete at, there's still that chance there. There's still, particularly with the combat sports as well, where there's always that you know the puncher's chance, if you want to call it. Yeah. There's always that chance there, and you kind of see people as soon as when when they actually say enough is enough, you see them really battle with kind of that grey area of where they lie and how they want to live their lives and things. Um, and and what I started doing with the kids that I coach in Camelie Judo Club was um, we, we, we talk about a monthly attitude, you know, where I, I kind of sat down and thought, what are the real basics that I want, the, want these kids to, um, to understand about, about fighting attitude, but also for, for their, for their outside lives as well. Because for me, Every great sports person, and particularly judo that I've ever been around, they all carry a level of baggage. And it's kind of, I, I think there's a point where the idea of fixing yourself through this sport is kind of a, that then leads, that then leads to the obsession. But once you remove the sport, once you remove the plaster, you've still got that gaping wound. So yeah. it's kind of... For me, it, it, it's just looking at, you know, it kind of goes to those old stoic principles, I suppose, of controlling, you know, controlling the controllables and, and doing all that you can. And that, that's something for me personally, I'm, I understood because I, after the London Games, I, I kind of said to myself, well, actually, you came from a rural part of the country, you know, up until three years before the London Games, I was never expected to go. And it's kind of a way that I managed to talk myself around London not being a failure, but just because I didn't get a medal and looked at it. It was like, actually, you know, I step, when I step away from that now, I'm very, very proud of something that at the time, you know, I thought was an utter failure. So I think for me, it's just pointing the kids in that direction. And it, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because, again, experience is the best teacher. If I sat myself down at 12 years old and told myself that, I'd probably thinking, you know, I haven't got a clue what you're going on about. So it's just... Yeah. it's trying to let up for me it's laying the seeds and then and then staying with them and being able to try and help them navigate it themselves along the way yeah and and ben will smile because i'm a big stoic fan um, as a philosopher uh, a business principle so i'm thrilled that you're also <laughs> at heart and i'll pass over to ben for habits ben over to you 
Yeah, thank, thanks, Jonathan. Um, and uh, anybody that's uh, listening, if you'd like to comment or ask any questions of Danny, um, please do um, post post them up. It'd be great to hear from you. Um, but Danny, it must have been like an amazing experience to be going to the Olympic Games in in the country in London. I've always wondered, like, what what is it actually like being in the Olympic Village and and surrounded by all those people and and who are who are there to compete? It must be like just electric everyone there for uh, at such a sort of peak of their their professional performance and and uh and so much excitement going on what was it like it it, it was monumental to be perfectly honest it was um yeah. i didn't really let it sink in beforehand you know kind of talking about that that goal obsession you know for me i was there to do a job um <clears throat> i competing very seriously but but after the game, like after I competed particularly and you, you're kind of seeing everyone else going out and competing and you, and you have a little walk around, it's just the scale that it's on is fantastic. But also to be in that environment where you've, you, you've got 15,000 other people in like a two square mile radius, all driven, all motivated. You know, I think if you want to look at... Um, if you look at human, for someone that's interested in human behaviour, it would it would have been incredible to see people like at the same time a mass amount of people absolutely focused and driven to then people that have been preparing for this event for four years that are beginning to relax. To mm. kind of you never really saw someone that was just very level. You know, you you either saw people kind of partying or people just completely in the zone getting ready to go. Um, it, such a fascinating, fascinating yeah. experience. <laughs> I bet, I bet, yeah. And, and that complete um, sort of night and day of, of the people who were just about to compete to the ones who've, 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 who've done and that they can relax. It must have been such a massive difference within those two different um, groups of people. Um, you could probably spot them a mile off um, who, who'd already done their job. Yeah, you saw that. So they had like, a few fast food restaurants in the Olympic canteen, um, like McDonald's particularly. And it's like when we, we, we went in a week before the games and it was barren, like there was no queue, no queue for the McDonald's or, the, or, or you know, kind of where they were just serving steak and chips, things like that. All the salad bars and the, and the grilled meat sections completely like the, you were having to queue for an hour or so to get your food. So then it literally switching two weeks later, the games is finished and it's like no one's queuing for the salad bar. No one's queuing. So yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so everyone's straight yeah. straight out of the the, the stadium and, and straight to uh, get a burger. <laughs> <laughs> the, the village becomes like it, it's nocturnal by the end of the games. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it must must have been fantastic. Um, quick comment from 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 your friend Don. Um, he just uh, wanted to know how how you sort of stayed so humble during during those uh, those uh, experiences. Like the beauty of a the beauty of a competitive combat sport is you've always got someone that will knock you down a peg. <laughs> And, and, co and coach it, particularly the training camps you go on to, you've got coaches that are quite willing to put that in front of you if, if they feel you need it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really important in that in that sense that people get cocky, don't they? Because I've done quite a bit of Muay Thai and, um, and boxing in the past, and you could tell a few people when they get a bit cocky and then a good coach will go, all right, yeah, get in the ring with this guy. <laughs> and two seconds later, they're like, Actually, I'll uh, I'll be a bit more humble, and uh, and it's about being a, a good leader in that situation, isn't it? You don't go in the room to in in the ring to hurt people. You go go in the ring to to, to teach them and, and and bring them on in, into the sport, um, which is is so important in in, in combat sports. Um, yeah. So said, um, growing up, that you 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 sort of found that sort of um, that. That you were sort of a little bit, bit aggressive. Did it help you sort of get control of that sort of stuff? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I have a very confrontational style, so sometimes I think it could appear 
sometimes it, it, it could probably appear that, you know, I've lost my temper when I haven't. Um, but, but controlling my temper early on was definitely something that, you know, I, I kind of, there's no secret to it. I kind of just had to work through that. And that's, that's something where my coach was, was, was really fantastic. That, um, you know, I think a few of the national coaches at the time would have, you know, were that were they my personal coach, you know, might not have, you know, might not have, uh, you know, might not have kept me in the game. Um, but Lukey kind of gave me enough space to kind of grow and understand and, 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 you know, he would, he, he would rein me in and, and, and tell me when I needed telling. Uh, don't get me wrong. He was very firm as well. But he gave me that, that, that space and growth to learn and work through it. Yeah. And talking about those sort of good habits that you that you pick up, we, we always talk about the, the habits that make you successful. And, and a lot of that is, is, is stuff that you, you, you pick up along the way, but that you do consistently. And we sort of break that up into healthy, wealthy and wise. So it'd be great to know from you to compete at that level how do you how do you stay healthy both sort of physically and, and mentally? Is there any sort of like real real sort of tips you could give us? Uh, yeah, so I I've always been a big fan of kind of looking at the goal that I want to work towards. So for for the majority of my life, Olympic champion in judo, and working backwards from that. So what do I need to be? You know, I need to be very fit. I need to be very strong. Um, the main thing I need to be good at judo. So how do I, so that's the first step backwards. Then the next step. Okay. So how do I become good at judo? We talked about the environment. Okay. I need, I need to be with a brilliant coach at a brilliant club. Um, how do I become fit and strong? Okay. I need to have good strength and conditioning coaches. They, they're going to be in that environment. Then more, that's quite a simple, that's just the one decision. I just move to that environment. That's kind of, and then all of that becomes automated for me. Um, but then there's more the like the daily regime that I need to stay on top of. So my eating, making sure I'm eating the right stuff at the right times. Um, and I, I would just, you know, I would, I would look at that, look at this, look at the science behind that. And, you know, let's say for example, if I'm training in the mornings, I, I want to make sure that I finished eating two hours before the start of that session. Um, and I would eat similar stuff most days. I'd have the odd cheat day and things, but I just get it to a point where I didn't really have to think about it. You know, mm. I wouldn't, you know, it, like I do like an ice cream every now and again. I just don't keep it in the house. You know, I, I just go to the shop every time I have that. So regards to meals, it just becomes a totally automated decision. That's all that's in the house. So that's all I yeah. eat. So you sort of limit down the choices. So you, you don't, don't make mistakes. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice. I, that's what they do at a P, BP garage, isn't it? You go, you go for, you guys pay for your pool, <laughs> and yet you've got that array of chocolate bars next to you, and you feel, you know, you don't know where to put yourself. It's just remove that, <laughs> remove the chocolate yeah. from the house, and you're all good. Um, got a, got uh, another couple of um, comments um, and a question from uh, Rara. Rara, brilliant. Yep. So um, when you're teaching judo now, can you naturally see a gifted child at an early stage? And how do you help that child go forward? Uh, yes, yes, you can. You can you can see. You can see kids that. Are very coordinated um, that that kind of think about what they're doing. But because there's so many elements to judo, to, to make it through in, into seniors, you know, they're, they're going to have to stay involved in the sport for probably 10 to 15 years minimum. I kind of like, as long as they've got one attribute, if they've got one attribute, I always think there's a chance. And every kid is good at something. Every kid is, is good at something. Um, and because we're an amateur sport as well, to be realistic, there's probably, of all the kids that I coach, 0.5% of them are going to make it through into the senior divisions, you know, where we're looking at winning major medals like European World Olympic. So it, that comes back to attitude. It's kind of, you know, the, the if I can just install good basics, basic fundamental principles of, of technique and tactics, but give them a good attitude, for me, that's enough. I'm not that, I'd never, I'd be careful with the way I told the kids this, 
but I really don't care about them winning medals at that age. I really don't. You find some clubs, not so many, but some clubs are really driven with their kids sections. I really couldn't care. It, it, I find it more impressive that they're going to stay in the game, that they're going to stay in the game and, and, and make it through into those senior divisions. So. And uh, and do you have, um, so just looking at that habits piece, do you have like a piece of wisdom that you sort of strive to live your life by? Uh, kind of my personal life or just my, or my judo life? Just, just just in 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 general or, or just like a like a, almost like a mantra that you try and try and live your life by uh not uh not really if we if we're on the subject of habits i'd probably i used to have uh, the you know the aristotle quote um framed up in my room uh, was it like habit is is not an act um you know excellence is not an act but a, a Repetition, a repetition of small things. Is it? I can't, I can't quite remember what it is. It's been a long time since I had that. My granddad bought me that, that for me. Um, so yeah, you can tell it's yeah. been, like, it, been thrown in my head. <laughs> it's, um, it's, yeah I, I think I remember um, what, what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so so looking at um, at leaders and successful people that that um, you aspire to, um, is, is there particular people that have that have inspired you? Um, uh, along the way, uh, th there's been many, and I, I try, I try and keep them as close to home as possible. Like I try and take take the key elements out of all the people around me that I really like and that I think that could fit to my. Because I think being a, a great leader, so in my case, that is a coach, because they're the people that I look up to, and and that's kind of who I aspire to be at, at some point. Um, and, and this is something my coach always says. He says, uh, you know, you kind of have to fit it round your personality, not one a coaching model for one person doesn't fit another. You kind of have to fit it round. So I try and keep it as close to home as possible. I look at my mother. I look at my granddad. I look at all the, the good things that my coaches have done for me. Um, but at the moment, it, it, it is my coach, Luke Preston, who's the, the, the head coach of Camberley Judo Club. And, I, and then other than that, you know, I, I am interested in history. Uh, to Jonathan said about the, the Stoic philosophy, I look at people like Marcus Aurelius and things like that. And then I, I look at just the key elements of them that I really like that I can kind of use as not so much mantras, but just little ideas of how I would like to be or that I think would work well for me. Mm. Uh, I've been reading, uh, you know, I take a, a layman's interest in, in military history, reading a bit about Horatio Nelson. Um, now, I've been reading a book called The Empire of the Seas by Brian Laver again lately. And kind of that goes in line with a lot of the stuff David Hartshorn was talking on on your last podcast, kind of a leading by example, be the one at the front. Um, so, yeah, just small elements. And I think for me, not knowing, not knowing my father growing up, that kind of pillaging, you know, I became very good at pillaging elements of pe people's game or people's coaching mm -hmm. philosophies and things like that. Um, and I, I continue to do that today, but I could, I can see it now as a young man. I did it um, unconsciously, but I consciously do it now. Right, and yeah, I think that quote that you were looking at from from Aristotle, uh, I just found it. I think um, we are what we re repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. Yeah, Does that sound right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think looking at like uh, strength training is the perfect thing for that. It's like there's no quick way to get strong. It is eating the right foods at the right time repeatedly doing your training at the right times things so, yeah 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 All right, amazing um over to you jonathan yeah well I, i'm uh it's very interesting you both were talking about um uh someone going to go and hurt you and you know teaching a lesson to people uh it reminded me of when i did airborne training not far from where you are in uh, camberley aldershot and um, they love to take the young officers like I was as a captain and put you with the biggest brutal soldier uh, in a ring called milling. And you're in there for about, I think, two, two minutes. It's not very long, maybe five. But I mean, certainly it's not long. But during that time, if you've got a guy twice your size and he hates officers, you just are almost destroyed. 
and I I staggered out of there. I did survive, but every time I was punching, it was about it was about belly button level. And when he was punching, he was just pummeling my head. I think that's probably why I'm so stupid now. It's probably from that time. But I was just thinking, there's not many organisations where the CEO gets put in a ring with one of his followers who can kick the shit out of him. And I think that perhaps should be in, introduced uh, after COVID. The, the, the followers get the chance to have a good a good box with their boss. I'm sure there was many a leader I could have uh, given a good thrashing to, but I probably get my myself get kicked as well. And I love the idea about pillaging ideas. I I um, like you, Danny. Um, didn't know my father. He was killed when I was three, and so my mum, you know, believed in me and encouraged me on. But um, I, I'm constantly looking for that sort of lead and so the stoics and the daily stoic and marcus aurelius epictetus seneca aristotle are great uh, comforts to me when i'm trying to cope with setbacks hardship disappointment um so lovely to see that what's been the impact of covid for you in your profession uh, we've looked at talked about the impact in business but what's it been like for an elite performance center like uh, yours at uh, cambly and your profession Oh, it's had a huge, huge impact. Obviously, you know the the, the contact sports. I mean, it's there in the name, isn't it? You, you need contact with with another person. So, obviously, for the first lockdown, it was kind of the Zoom uh, boom. So for our for our paying members for our public sessions, I I was running um, and my coach uh, Luke was running for the some of the older juniors. We were doing like basic fundamental sessions across Zoom, which actually worked pretty well for a time. Um, and it really actually, it slowed us down a bit to look at those basics, which it, which you seldom get chance to do really. Um, because to be perfectly honest, they're, they're quite boring. They're quite boring. However, they're so, so vital, they're so vitally important. So actually, just having that time because we were running shorter sessions because it was Zoom, and then just throwing some kind of you know more competitive exercises in with those basics, it worked. It worked really well, and you can see the players starting to grasp that side of things. Uh, from a more elite, from the elite academy side of things, quite a few of the athletes have struggled. You know, competitive athletes they live their lives in in um, in routine. And with with goals and events to work towards, they kind of always know what's coming up for them, um, and that was just totally eradicated, totally because you had a, you had a time when the International Judo Federation was saying, okay, we're thinking of holding these tournaments at, at such and such a date later in the year. You'd get close to that event, and they just pull it out because the the host country wasn't going to run it, and the athletes were just kind of blown around in the wind a lot, and they're not used to that. Um, so it, it, it's been interesting watching and for me this is where i get to observe my coach um and how, you know how creative he's had to be and what he's done and how he's united everyone setting everyone challenges for conditioning sessions at home and things but also seeing the craving for kind of human connection there as well that that people have just been exactly that they've been craving that human contact um and and for athletes that they want to be competitive as well and you need that human you need that human interaction to be competitive so it's been for me again it was fascinating to, to kind of watch what luke was doing and, and and make notes on that yeah very interesting and, and your talk of um, getting the basics right and and how long you really should spend your time on that in almost in anything and, and i remember that one about the um in one of the particular martial arts the master was asked by the young student you know what, what about you know what about getting to mastery you know if i if i work hard and i study for 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 five years you know can i can i can i do it quick can i get there quicker he said no it'll take you longer and it's like what and, and like before mastery chop wood carry water after mastery chop wood carry water it's like, like, how do you know the difference it's just it's it's a mindset thing you, you can't often see it. it it's in your it's in your mind that mastery isn't it and, you, and you've learned to conquer the mind as much as the, the strength conditioning and learning the techniques and things. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, regard, regards to mastery, I, I like, I forget his name, but there's a famous um, American weightlifting coach. He coached the, uh, the Olympic weightlifting team for the, in the States. 
And he said the so he was asked on what was the key component that makes someone a champion or that can make someone great. And you know, you're kind of expecting these imp, inspirational uh, inspirational quotes. And he just came out with the the simple the ability to keep themselves motivated to push through the boredom. And I was kind of like, but that that's it, that's it. And you know, particularly in this spot, with watching what Luke has been doing, um, you know, just just keeping everyone together, but then looking at how we can make those basics fun, how we can make them competitive, how and for me, the most important one is getting the understanding across. Because most people that walk through the door in a judo club are if they're young enough, it's because their parents think that they need whatever a martial art can give them uh, for, for their outside lives. But other most people want to come in there because they want to fight. They want to, you know, they want to get hold of someone and do do some sparring session. And it's just about slowing them down enough to to kind of build the understanding of the importance of them, um, which, which, again, it's been put. It, it's not the ideal situation for it, you know, a, a global pandemic, but it's given us the time to be able to do that. And of course, I'm very interested. You you talked about that you you have developed a, a fierce aggression in the uh, when you're fighting. What about in personal life? How do you channel that aggression so that you remain calm and you don't uh, you don't sort of end up uh, ending up in jail because you've sort of destroyed someone? How, how do you how do you have that control in your personal life? Uh, do a lot of judo. <laughs> I uh, just other technique, like I write, I write an awful lot, which I find just help, you know, anything that I might have been subconsciously bottling up, I can just spill out in, into my personal diary. Uh, I, I run a blog as well. Um, you know, I do some kind of, I don't particularly like the word meditation, but I do some contemplative ec exercises as well. You know, a, a few tricks and things. But anger, anger is something, particularly in my younger years, that I, I struggled with for a lot, you know, and I, I feel like with help, um, with help from, from professionals, with help from from judo coaches and things, you know, I've been, uh, I've, I've been able to, to get on top of that most of the time. So. Yeah, well done, well done. And about, um, before I hand over to Ben, uh, for the final couple of questions, what are your top tips for leading in a crisis and in change? What have you learned about handling crises and change um i think in regards to cry I, I don't i wouldn't say i've been in many crises um but one one thing i try to to try and do is always analyze my first thought so one example i'll, I'll give is we did the I went to the World Team Championships in 2018 in in Baku in Azerbaijan and and Great Britain with uh, drew Russia in the first round. So obviously we were fighting Russia. Um, and on the morning of the tournament, we were told that that uh, President Putin would be coming, it would be flying in to watch the Russian team, uh, which he did. So we, all, we were all warmed up. We were all warmed up and we were in the, we were kind of like in the holding pen before we were taken out and we got delayed quite severely. Um and I noticed some of some of the some of the some of the coaches, the national coaches around, and I was one of the older players on the team, and they they'd taken a couple of younger fighters there for experience. And I'd been reading the, the Stoics for a few years on this, and it's kind of that Epictetus talks about, you know, that in, examining your impulse, isn't it? It's like I think the one he uses is it, if someone goes to poke you in the eye, you know, it, it's uh, it's almost an involuntary action that you're going to pull your head away. Um, and I think the other one he uses was the shipwreck, wasn't it? There was a, a you know, sailors in a storm. It's like, you know, you're going to probably feel sick and scared, but it's like not panicking off the back of that. It's analysing that thought. So anyway, so we were in the holding pen and a few of the coaches were getting wound up. And it was like, why are we being delayed? And, um, you know, almost complaining that they were holding, they were basically holding the start of the tournament until Putin arrived. And, you know, and you could kind of see, I could see the effect that that was having on the younger fighters. And I, I just said to one of them, I said, look, have a look at the Russian team. And, you know, normally they're quite stone faced, um, you know, and and you could see the fear in them. You know, and I, I, I said, I said to one of the young lads, I said, look, actually, the pressure's not on us at all. 
The most power, one of the most powerful men in the world is coming to watch them win. He's coming to watch them win. Think about how they're feeling. And, you know, and, and, and I, I did have that for a split second. Like, come on, I want to get out there and fight now. And it was, you know, actually, once, once I just stepped back from myself initially and then, and then spoke to, to one of the young lads, it was like, actually, you know, I feel all right now. And we ended up losing, but we lost very, we've lost a very, very close match considering, you know, we were, it was probably expected that Russia would come out and give us a bit of a kick in. And, uh, you know, we were right in it till the end. So. Well done. Don't forget your blog is excellent and recommends people read it. It's a very good blog. So um, over to Ben for the final couple of questions. Yeah, that, that must have been um, a pretty amazing competition with um, Putin watch, watching. And they must be they must be pretty tough competitors, though. With like you said, that they got such a history in in, in the sport. Are, are they the sort of toughest um, country that you've been up against? Russia are one of the powerhouses of uh, of modern judo. Yeah. Um, Putin himself is a is a black belt mm. judo player. Um, was competitive in his younger years, and he, I, I believe, he became president of the Russian Judo Federation after the Beijing Olympics. Uh, they didn't medal in Beijing in two thousand and eight, and then he kind of, um, I think, strongly strongly requested a few a few major oil and gas companies sponsor the Russian team. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, since then, and he brought, he actually brought in an Italian guy who's uh, Olympic champion himself, Ezio Gamba. And I think kind of having um, a neutral set of eyes on how, how the, the, the team was selected in, in Russia, they've just, they've just turned into one, a very powerful team, but the entire squad, the amount of depth that they, they, they can offer is, is incredible, really. So. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, so so one of the questions we always ask is is about um, legacy and and um, what you sort of would like your 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 legacy to be. I don't know if you've given that much thought yet, or <laughs> no. I, I mean, one thing about I find when people constantly talk about legacy, I find it to be quite ego driven. Um, you know, particularly particularly with athletes where you, your sport your sporting career is such a short span of your life it, it, it realistically you know I'm an old judo player at 31 um you know I don't I don't particularly want to be talking about my when I'm in my 50s I don't plan on my sporting years being you know the defining years of my life um and I think my my coach Luke again he he really nails this with this you know what he talks about from a coaching perspective, you know, he, he teaches me everything that he knows and then I add to that and then I teach everything that I know to a younger player who then adds to that and so on and so on. For me, if I can play my, my part in, you know, in that, in that process, then, then, then that's enough for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just sort of final final question: um, Have you got any book recommendations? You, you've mentioned some some really like, not sort of nice reading that you've done and quotes that you've in, that have helped you along the way. Um, any book that's been been important to you in, in your life, or or just something that's been great to read during during lockdown? Uh, I've probably got a couple then. So the the, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius are, f are fantastic. Um, and if if someone wanting to get into stoicism, that along with any kind of modern stoicism book, you've got uh, probably my favourite author is a guy called Donald Robertson. Check out yeah. any of his work, which is which is fantastic. Um, and one that I've read over the last couple of years that's that that I find particularly useful, and it, it, it's kind of a basic intro to uh to organizational psychology is willpower doesn't work by uh, benjamin hardy that's uh, a really good read okay i'm definitely gonna have a look at that one so willpower doesn't work right. interesting yeah <laughs> we, we, we touched on the environment haven't we and it's kind of like how you yeah well, the whole book is basically around how you you build your environment to make to make your all your decisions geared towards your goals automated so it's fantastic right reading. right right yeah yeah so it's like you were saying sort of limiting those those bad choices you could you could make about ice cream and things like that <laughs> it's uh, it's a great one and um it, with it goes atomic habits by james clear uh, yeah. and 
he said, you know, make the, the good habits easy to reach. For. Like I, I trained in the gym this morning in my garage. And so I put my trainers and my gym kit on my bedside table. So when I get out, I just pick them up and put them on and go to the gym. Whereas if I had 35 days where I gave up alcohol, I made sure I actually hadn't, you know, get your willpower at the store. I didn't actually buy any alcohol that week, which of course went down badly with my wife who hadn't given up like me. <laughs> but we're now drinking again. But um, it, was useful, it was useful having that discipline, making some things very hard, get your willpower at the store and make, making other things that you want to do very easy. Um, yeah. Danny, it's been all about, all about having a plan, right? Exactly. Like, like so much in life, yeah. have a plan and, and stick to it. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, everybody has a plan until they get smacked in the mouth, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's Mike Tyson, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what did you think of his last fight, Danny? I thought he looked really good, actually. He's looking looking pretty mean, isn't he? <laughs> For his yeah, age, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't mind. Um, you know, being able to do that at 54 years of age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I just really uh, have appreciated the humility that you bring to it, uh, the insights. Uh, I wish I had been as wise and uh, learned as many lessons as you had by my age of 31. I was still making some huge blunders. So wishing you every success and the people who get you as their coach, they're very lucky at Cambly. So if you really want to be at a, a good club, get yourself down to the Cambly Judo Club when the, when the pressure comes off and we can actually see each other. And good luck with all that you do. And, and once again, thank you. And our thanks to Don for recommending it. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.